All right, I know there's way more important questions about God, but seriously, it seems like when someone releases gas, that it could have been a real quick fix as far as making sure it just wasn't smelly. It's just, it's awful in elevators and your spouse is is gassy. It's it's just, it's a whole mess. There could have been some sort of air, built-in like air freshener, easily. Just a really good smelling organ around those parts of your body. You do have to give God some credit on our brains are connected to farts in a way that just makes us laugh. I don't even want to laugh honestly because sometimes I just think that people are just being gross and letting something out like that and they want everybody to laugh i don't want to laugh i just can't help it is just what is it about that noise there's something in our brain that god put in there okay some of you are like well that's not me i don't think it's funny well obviously there's an exception god also made some people that can't see accidentally on purpose whatever your theology is that's on you there's exceptions to everything knock it off but there are more important questions i wanted to make one last call for the bear group experience Experience. We are gathering a total of seven people, including myself, and we're going through a four week, one hour and a half each week, basically a small group on steroids for four weeks. I hesitate to use the word curriculum because it's more discussion oriented. There is a rhyme and reason and direction that we are headed towards. In these discussions, it's with the intent of backing off of systematic theology or just our dependency on it, our assurance of inerrancy and some of the problems that seems to to have caused, but it's not just a beat up conservative theology. It's mainly a let's just take a bird's eye view at everything. I will say that most people who end up in these groups are typically struggling with questions that we look at pretty intently. Reach out to me. My contact is in the show notes last minute. This actually is outside of the Bear With community that is a gathering of patrons of this podcast. Some people actually in the Bear With community consider it their primary community, i.e., church. We are actually going to have, we are within this community, we're starting a deconstruction book club and we are kicking it off with A Case for Christ by the famous Lee Strobel. Looking forward to it. We're, We're kicking it off in September and I haven't read that book in such a long time, but looking forward to reading it outside of my fundamentalist systematic theology glasses. I want to give a shout out to Paul Canarens, my homeboy from middle and high school, bald all the time together. It's great to have you as a listener. And Carissa Rowe, Robbie's sister-in-law, Elizabeth Madison, Robbie's wife. Fam, I miss everybody. All right, here's Robbie and Matt to talk a little bit about the Seacoast podcast, and then you'll get to hear from Kevin Sweeney on how a hallucinogenic trip, did I say that right? Hallucinogenic? Hallucinogenic trip caused him to go to God. Man, that would not fly in my churches when that I grew up in. That just It just would not fly at all. <laughs> All right, so you just led chapel. Was it primarily Houston Texan players or were there? It was the Houston Texan players. And we had a couple coaches, a few staff members. Actually, Pastor Brendan Brown spoke today from Hillsong, San Francisco. It was awesome. This is our second chapel of the season. Um, so, yeah, last week we had our first one. It's just really been off to a really good start. Just a great community, great vibe, great worship. The speakers have been awesome. That's cool, man. Well, I'm going to give you most of the credit. All those people that you named, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Robbie was there. Robbie (laughs) was there. (laughs) I appreciate it. Are you looking forward to the start of the football year? Actually, really excited. Um, Yeah. Really excited. It was um, getting into the rhythm. I think I'm realizing it took me a minute to realize like, oh, we're here. Like there's a game every week. And of course, we've got a lot of services throughout the week. Off season is great. You know, planning is great. 
seeing the guys like and face to face and you know them wanting to dive in and them wanting to be there and all that it makes it real and so it, it kind of honestly settles a lot of my anxiety about it yeah <laughs> so. yeah all right and so i i'm I, I know i mess with you a lot but i'm not making fun of you here you know me i'm obsessed with football like i'm just football right. football football you yeah. not being that big of a fan is it still electrifying on the sidelines like an nfl sunday game oh my gosh it's so exciting I have learned how to watch the game. Uh, right. so, to me, this is going to sound really crazy, but I, I see it almost like in production eyes. So I see about like the intentionality of giving everybody an experience. So from the, the way that they enter to like the merch table or the mascot and all the tricks that the mascot's doing throughout or like giveaways, the national anthem, there's just so much that happens in one game. It just really, when I first started going, it was blowing my mind. And I really appreciate that intentionality. And then, of course, the actual game. <laughs> that, uh, can, that, can you, you know, guys that catch me up? What is Robbie doing with the NFL? I'm so confused. He's Are the starting like uh, quarterback the of the Houston Texans. No. I'm, a, no, he, I'm actually a running, I'm a running back. Yeah, I'm he's wor- he's <laughs> worship leader and running back of the Houston Texans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm backup, 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 backup running back. <laughs> No, Rob, Robbie, let me see if I can trace this, if I can trace this correctly. And I'm sure I'm missing some steps. So you and a really good buddy, he was chaplain of South Carolina Gamecock. Basically, he brought you in on some of that stuff as a worship leader. And then it went from there to the New England Patriots and then from there to the Houston Texans. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good summary. Like, I mean, I've, I've always done church ministry and uh, of course majoring in music and stuff like that and then we actually went to undergrad together and we we co-led the fca together at undergrad so that was a newberry college that doesn't get a lot of good media attention so here we go shout out to newberry heck yeah and then, just years later we've we've always partnered we have a nonprofit called the greatest champion that's a sport foundation that is always focused on pouring into athletes and he has an incredible preaching gift and an incredible pastoral gift um, as well so he would always preach and i would handle any musical or production elements so yeah we went to usc for a while and then um you know players went pro and, and he actually was with the chiefs for a little bit and then he was with the patriots and then the patriots were interested in incorporating worship so they started flying me up so i was doing that for about four and a half years and then, in a private jet right every now and then <laughs> private jet <laughs> every now and then yeah, we, yeah. They, that was Honestly, yeah, I had a tough part about getting back on a Sunday morning. So their solution was a private jet one time. But uh, (laughs) I think it's my fourth or fifth season with the Texans, or second season full time. Moved out to Houston a little over a year ago to develop the actual chapel program. So we oversee lots of gatherings throughout each week. Well, that's heck yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, Yeah. that's wild. It's awesome. So I thought it would be really interesting to get both of your perspectives on the new Seacoast podcast that uh, is actually out now. Robbie, you, you know me more than most and you have seen me. You and I have, have kind of been shoulder to shoulder with podcasting in this world. And then you and I worked at Seacoast together way longer. And then Matt, you and I are newer friends and have gotten to know each other a good bit. You've never been connected with me in the evangelical world. And here you are doing a lot with me with Pastor With No Answers. And y'all both heard the Seacoast podcast episode. I'm curious, Matt, you know me behind the scenes. Is it weird to hear me in that what was arena? Is it weird to hear <laughs> yeah, me in that arena? arena? <laughs> it's like your is that not the word I'm looking for? Maybe just space because arena space. is like mega church. Like all, you know. Well, that's what it is. Though. Are you used to hearing me in that coliseum? <laughs> I think it's it's interesting. I'm curious, Matt. You do sound well? You sound totally different. Like you sound like a pastor, which is a little weird. Which you always do, but you sound like you're in the uniform. I guess is that. A good way to put it. Oh. That's all I can really explain. Oh. The thing that was weird is I don't know the person that you were talking to. I've never heard of him, but I looked him up. Um, and he's got like half a million followers, which is wild on something. I didn't know anything about it. So I was lacking a lot of context, which will always be the problem. Hello, Brandon. In circles. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah Brandon. Oh, okay. Now, is it and and you and I, you and I are close enough to you be a straight shooter? Does it feel yeah. off putting? No, no. It sound it's. I don't know that a lot of people in my shoes would listen, but I think a lot of people in Christian shoes would definitely listen. It's yeah. not a podcast for for godless heathens, right? <laughs> uh-huh. the, here's what this feels like for me. I obviously have no idea what what the future has for Joey Svensson just just in in general I I enjoy what I'm doing most importantly I enjoy the season I'm in with kids and, and their age and all of that I feel the uniqueness of my connection to a church called Seacoast Church with Robbie I want to let you speak on Seacoast a little bit because I'm so complimentary of of that church here and that 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 would be your church as well this direction makes so much sense because they're two worlds that I do feel very much so a part of. For me, I don't really see them as two totally separate worlds. And I think it's because I don't mean to say this in like a pat myself on the back, but I really do feel like a a, a pastor, like as far as when I say pastor, I mean more of a shepherd. Like I think a lot of people when they hear pastor, they think of somebody on a stage like teaching. And that's not what I think of. I think of people that are shepherds at heart. That's kind of the angle that I'm at. I just kind of love everybody. I see a lot of people who are on a similar journey as myself with like having a lot of questions and maybe changing a lot with with how I see things. I don't feel necessarily like I'm leaving a family behind either. And I don't necessarily think that that would be possible at other churches, which Josh, our pastor, jokes around about that. Like this setup just couldn't happen anywhere. But you're a fellow, I mean, you you would consider yourself a fellow seacoaster. That's that's your fam too. Am I a little too complimentary to them on this podcast? You you listen to this podcast, you hear me talk about seacoast all the time. <laughs> well, first of all, before I before I respond, I would just say the way you just put on your glasses there made you look so much older just now. <laughs> Even how I put them on? You looked like a grandpa. Oh, you look- heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, <laughs> I would say, first of all, yes, I love Seacoast. My, my story and intersection with Seacoast, obviously, is pretty unique. Like, they planted a church in my hometown. They intersect in really real times of my life instead of just being like a service that I attended. Um, I remember when my family was going through something really heavy in high school and one of the pastors there, he's not there anymore, Todd Phelps, he literally prayed with me every single week until my situation changed. To me, kind of beats a lot of the heartbeat of Seacoast for those who were like actually connected on the inside of it, plugged into small groups and stuff like that. I think their experience of Seacoast is a little different than somebody who either doesn't go there or I I was so interested by Matt's comment that you sound really different in that podcast. I didn't necessarily hear that. I also know you in that space. So I didn't hear the, the difference there. I do believe that it's cohesive. I think that the way that you have kind of carried your Yourself has I think Lisa described you as a bridge, and that's what it felt like to me. One one of the things that would always annoy me the most when I was leading worship in Argentina is when they would ask me to sing worship in English. And I'm like, why would I sing worship in English? Just thinking, like, listen to me singing. Like, you're not participating. Like, I'm adamant about like we're going to sing in Spanish so we can all do this together. And that's what I felt like on the Seacoast podcast is that you you didn't go at it in the same kind of banter that you would on Password No Answers. Because that would just completely shut doors down. But you walked at the pace that they were and shepherded along and it still felt like the same Joey vibe to me yeah. uh, facilitating that conversation. I, I agree with both of y'all. And I think maybe what Matt hears is the fact that in that context, even though I am a part of this organization, I'm on, on, as far as the podcast is concerned, I'm also representing mm-hmm, something right. that doesn't necessarily belong to me. This right. is something that I'm a part of, whereas Pastor With No Answers is something that I started uh, alongside yeah. like, like what I would say is our, our close people in my life. Seacoast, yeah. I see it more as I'm not necessarily saying, hey, come come into my kitchen as we uh, share some beer and just talk any uh, about any and everything. It's almost more like in, in the jump probably 
doesn't make complete sense, but it's almost like, hey, come into my grandma's house where I love very much. Where we we kind of see things a little bit differently. So I talk a little bit differently here. You're not going to hear me joke how I joke around. It's my grandma. You know, I love my grandma, and that's just that kind of doesn't fly around here. But it, it is interesting because it is a kind of a, a it, it's a different world mm-hmm. and it's a different audience. I think what I like too, it's a different challenge because the purpose of the Seacoast podcast is not for me to unpack and process and get mm-hmm. all of my questions and doubts out on the table for discussion. That's not the point. You know what I'm saying? Right. I just feel so connected to to both worlds. I kind of feel like the same, Joey, but that makes sense that I would come across a little it's, bit differently. I totally agree about uh, about you being a bridge because I've tried to do the same thing in my life. And I think you're really a good example of that in that you're able to kind of bring people from different walks and have them at the very least, have a conversation and, and see their similarities and differences. All you're really trying to do, I think. Yeah. I think it'll be a good avenue for more and more of that for you. An opportunity for ministry for you to do what you're skilled at. And I'm curious, Matt, when you hear me dialogue with people that you don't know, but two of them, apparently I'm very close to in one of them being our lead pastors. What's your very surface level impression of an evangelical megachurch, given that you've quote unquote deconstructed all the way out? There's a lot of things that bother you that bother me, but you hear me talk very highly of Seacoast, and then you kind of get a snapshot of me conversing with the lead pastor. Do you think, ah, yeah, I don't I don't know why Joey's hyping it up so much, but they seem all right. They seem all right with me. I struggle <laughs> with the thought that you, you hype it up a lot because I'm very skeptical about any large organization. That is a very large organization from what you've described. So, I mean, I'm always going to be very skeptical of those things. I'm going to assume behind closed doors something bad has been swept under the rug because <laughs> it just happens. It's happening right. everywhere. So, I mean, my assumption will always be yeah. prima facie, not great. I also hope that you experience a genuine connection there and that the people there are genuine and it's not just a scheme for money and all those things. But that is how people like myself will unfortunately have to view it because those are the examples we've seen for centuries. And uh, just just for our listeners sake, the purpose of this episode is not to validate anything. Honestly, I think with Seacoast for me, I wore those cynicism glasses for years while I was even there. And so I don't even think I I don't I don't take those glasses off. But I think over time for me, if I would have seen I mean, because Robbie, you and I have had discussions on the side of things that we're frustrated with the years that we've been there. I think we've both kind of gotten to the point where it's like, okay, there's no place that's perfect. Big picture. Yep. You know, this place does way more good. Robbie, you may have been, because I've told this story a few times, but I was telling Brandon Lake that seeing him grow up as a kid, there was one point where I asked somebody, and it may have been you, Robbie, I, th- I think I may have asked you or somebody, I was like, how how big is Brandon Lake now? Like, I don't understand his popularity. I know he's had some success. And whoever it was, it may have been you. You're like maybe one of the bigger Christian artists out there yeah, right now, and I was like, "Oh absolutely. my gosh!" So, <laughs> with, from your like from an outsider's perspective, was that like me interviewing David Crowder, Kirk Franklin? Like it, it, we're we're talking that level, right? Because I still can't. Oh, absolutely. I, I know. That's I know. So crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, I would put Brandon on. I mean, he probably wouldn't say this, but I definitely would put him on a level like a David Crowder. You've kind of got your writers. You know how it is. Like you've got like some trusted writers that you're like, I know that their songs are going to be solid. I know that I could probably use them in my church. For me, I always think about the musicality of it as well. And one thing that Brandon has always done well, he not only kept the song relatable but he brought some musicality out of it so for someone like me who was a performer and not just trying to like do the formula the arrangement the musical arrangement of a worship song i was able to bring some musicality out of it so i think he kind of crosses over those bridges and so that being said the fact that he's that gifted of a songwriter and a performer his performances are very electric as well so it's resonated with the world but granted the platform is different now than it was when 
David Crowder and all of them were getting started. And David, I think, had a lot to do with the passion conferences and things like that. Now, how do you, I'll, I'll ask you similarly to what I asked him in this episode, how do you process the genuine practice of worship through arts and the business and the and the marketing of it. But you would say you have a heart of worship and obviously that's what that's a that's a you know outside of outreach of some sort that's what you want to do with your life. And so you have an authentic drive to not only worship through arts. I can understand the the cynicism, you know, like I was picking at Brandon, like, you know, there's a lot of artists mm-hmm. that they're bringing in millions of dollars and they're like, well, it's all for the Lord. And I'm like, well, maybe it is, but at least be happy about tell people that yeah, you're yeah. also making some good money. How do you, how do you process that? I think that we have like a lot of taboos on, on things when it comes to somebody's career. Obviously I'm around people that have a lot of money every single day over here, way more money than any of, you know, any of us have. And I can not Brandon, be, not Brandon, but no, no, I'm talking about the athletes, but like, <laughs> I watch people judge them all the time, all day, every day for doing what a lot of other people are doing, playing football and the same thing. Like, so one thing that I've wrestled with a lot as being a worship leader is the fact that people don't think that worship leaders should be successful professionally. I, I view it differently because I'm, I feel, I feel like I am a worshipful artist. So I don't only sing worship music, obviously, you know, I do like jazz and classical rock, all of that. When I'm worship leading, it's a different mindset to me than when I'm producing a, you know, a song that I just want somebody to relate to. And it's just a different mindset. When yeah. I'm worship leading, I'm trying to get people to sing more than I'm singing. Essentially, that's my goal. So I'm not doing all the same stuff I would sing if I'm if I'm singing a Bruno Mars song. There is a dichotomy in the mindset. I think that the heart has to be pure. But then on the other side of a professional person, if you really think about it, I've got a family that I've got to support. So my goal as an artist, not as a worship leader, as an artist, is to allow my music to be at the place where I can sustain myself and my family. It, it really does like the same kind of business things do apply, but you, you want to make sure that your heart stays the same. Now for somebody who makes a lot of money from it, that is not really in their control unless they're, unless they're like abusing the system, which some people abuse the system. And that's where, that's where it gets tainted in the music industry. Brandon does not do that. Brandon has been, the, as you know, like he's been the same person this whole time, like the same crazy like kid is the same Brandon the adult but he's just grown in his skill and he's grown in the amount of people that have resonated with his music now what bothers me is for example if you go to Nashville it's oversaturated with maybe Christian artists that say hey a Christian song needs to have these elements a verse a chorus a verse a chorus a bridge a chorus it needs to sound like this it needs to be repeatable you need to rhyme with this and all of that and that's when you get to that section where you're like you're really almost kind of manipulating people because you're finding patterns that you think is going to produce a lot of money and there's a lot of artists and that's their focus that's what i have a problem with not authentic artists that have grown an audience knowing brandon from the angle that i know him in has been a huge lesson for me because i know how i would naturally have viewed brandon if he was just a, a name and an artist that i was not connected to in any way i would have the natural inclination to make up things about him in my mind and make yeah. assumptions this is somebody that I would judge a whole lot and who I have. And yet mm. I actually know this person. And, you know, I, I, I say he's real deal. What I mean by that is pretty much what you see. Like you see more of what he is than what he is not when you're around him. And I think that's yeah. saying a lot more than what, a, what you could say about a lot of people mm. in his shoes. This episode that people are going to hear right here on Pastor With No Answers is extremely interesting for me. It's a pastor who says that he found his way back to God through a hallucinogenic trip. What I find very interesting about this is he no longer has any thing to do with hallucinogens. So I know a lot of people who talk about the spiritual practice of hallucinogens. This guy says, I had one trip. It pointed me to God. And when he says God, he means the God of the Bible, Jesus. And so since it made it so clear to me, there's no need for the hallucinogens. That, that it, it already pointed me uh, to what I need. I have what I need. And so I don't do the trips anymore. A real side note of the conversation, I'm going to ask what you guys think. I'll, I'll ask it in a more 
random cryptic way. But if I, if I was on here, let's say the three of us, we have a guest and the guest, we don't know that well. And he's trying to pronounce an Indian name, like someone from India, not a Native American. So really, really crazy pronunciation. And then your knucklehead friend, Joey, says, ha ha, it sounds like you were speaking in tongues, man. Ha 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 ha. And then we move on with the conversation that I make you guys uncomfortable by saying that. That joke? Like, would, right. that, making- would that make you uncomfortable? Um, not me. How about you, <laughs> No. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I wouldn't say uncomfortable. I would, I would say like, it probably like rubbed me a little bit just because, well, you know how I am. <laughs> yeah, w- w- would it be, would it be something that would be strong enough for you to circle back around and say, Hey, just from a friend to a friend that may have come across a little bit weird. Probably. No, that's so, cool. Like, that's, so the issue yeah. was the guy had an accent. Okay, but just well, because no, yeah. so so this so y'all haven't heard this yet, but this guy that I interviewed with, he was trying to pronounce someone that he uh-huh. admired who had an Indian name. And so I made a joke and I mm. said, basically, sounds like you were speaking in tongues. He emails me a couple of days later and and basically I couldn't speak higher enough on his behalf of how he handled it. And I really want to talk about it because I really do feel it's such a exemplary thing to point at it, how I think we should deal with this stuff. But he emailed me, he said he didn't really like how I did that. He said it just kind of comes across a little off-putting to white American guys talking. And then I was saying an Indian name and you made fun of it. And my immediate response was, I think you're right. And I'm sorry. And I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. That is not in any way. Look at Joey and how humble he is. I really appreciate the fact that he was probably irritated. He actually said he didn't know what to do right on the spot. And he circled back later and told me his thoughts. And it was a great conversation. I felt like I learned from it. And we're all good. Yeah, I think that sometimes like so names are a big thing, right? So um, especially if you come from a different culture and then come into the context of America, people that have non-American names or something that seems almost really what the issue is, is that as American English speakers, we have a lot of trouble pronouncing other languages, but we see them, we see it in a different way. So we can't pronounce it. So it sounds funny to us, to them. It's like, they can't pronounce my name and they're making me feel dumb about it. But I know that's not, obviously I know that's not you, but um, but that's kind of like just thinking like American versus like another culture coming in. They're already uncomfortable. Like, you know, my, my wife talked about a friend of hers that she was in dental school with. who was like brilliant, top of the class. But yeah. her accent was so strong. She was Vietnamese. Her accent was so strong that her teachers would basically talk down to her and act like she wasn't intelligent when really she was at the top of the class. That's why I say like it's kind of a bigger thing. But then also, it technically was tones. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was another tone. <laughs> hey, Matt, I-, I would say that you are going to be so shocked about this. But given that you live in the deep south, too, you probably won't be shocked, but you'll get a kick out of this. So Robbie and I, most uh, most of the time that we work together, our office was housed inside of a basically uh, an American bar restaurant. Uh, They had live music. The owners were really good friends of the church. And this guy, sweet man, but oh my gosh, so oblivious. So (laughs) Ravi, who everybody loves, including this man, would walk in in the morning and and uh, Matt, this guy, I, I, let me just, I'll, I'll say probably 60s, would say, hey, man, how are you today, man? No. <laughs> every day. And, and every day. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, did you finally tell him, please don't do that? Oh, I've told him multiple times. Okay. I love, so- I love him. I don't mind it as much, but it would be like when he had like a business associate <laughs> and he was in a meeting, introduced me like that. Like he would say that to somebody that doesn't know. That's when it would really bother me. So I, I said, hey, please don't introduce me like that. You know, so wow. for multiple reasons, but, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love them though. Matt, his daughter may or not be a regular on this show. There. <laughs> I'll ask Liz if I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so it's it's Kevin Sweeney, right? Sweeney, how, how to say it? Yes. So 
I'm very excited about this episode, and it's it's one of those episodes where I am the least prepared because here's here's why. There's so many things I want to talk about with you. Like just just when when somebody reached out to me, I barely scratched the surface. I was like, yes, I want to talk to this guy. We're gonna run out of time before we run out of things to talk about. And I want to break the ice by saying, Kevin, I haven't read the book. I podcast a lot, and I've got four kids, so I just can't keep up with with all the books. But I hope that's okay because I'm super excited about. The conversation i'm gonna have a hey, there's I, I feel like there's enough in the title alone yes to just already just yes go for it. yes so here's what i'm gonna do i always like to try to think of a little fun way to start off i'm gonna try i know some people hate this sort of context but i actually like it and i think because this is a podcast where we talk about a lot of spiritual stuff for me the context is important where someone is at somewhat. I mean, I've asked people, I've, I've tried to not say, are you a Christian? Cause that's so loaded, but I still kind of want to know where you're at spiritually. But I was like, you know, if I'm going to put you on that hot seat, I need to do the same for you. So I'm going to try to give you a snapshot and keep it under a minute. You think I can do that? You think I can do that? Absolutely. Uh, so here, here we go. Catholic and Pentecostal, I was scared of hell my whole childhood. Add OCD and depression. Unfortunately, religion made it all worse. I'm not cutting down Catholics and Pentecostals. The environments I grew sure. up in really jacked me up big time. I started deconstructing church, I'll just say it this way, church bullshit a long time ago. You know, I was in college and kind of cynical. They were supposed to be cynical and just saw a lot of stuff. I still valued the church, but I was like, wait a second, this just isn't lining up. But I don't think I really started changing significantly in my theology until I started with two other friends, a podcast called Bad Christian. And we just, we we were so evangelical and so fundamentalist. Here's where the ball dropped for me was talking to a guy named Chris Date. It blew up my world because he was a, he was an inheritance like he believed he was Calvinist, but he believed people were annihilated. Nobody burns in hell forever. And that was always a very troubling belief. It actually did mess me up and still I can be triggered from it by a little bit. But Chris was like, annihilationism is what the Bible says. And my whole world was blown up. I was like, oh my gosh. So people don't exist forever. I had stopped believing in the flames, but I still thought hell is a bad, 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 horrible place and people are there forever. And then next thing you know, this Chris Date from Rethinking Hell comes along and says, oh yeah, everybody's destroyed in a fire. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's what I think now. I don't think we know shit. I think if God made the universe, we know more about the universe than we know about God, I think. like, And we don't know a whole hell of a lot about the universe. So we can't even tell if we, we can't even tell if there's life in other planets, but we put God in like some sort of system. So for me, where I'm at, I would say I do believe and have a childlike faith in the phrase Jesus is Lord. I have I have fun believing in the Trinity, even though I don't understand it. I have childlike faith that everything's gonna be okay. And it even seems that way according to the Bible. I would love to debate somebody as far as like a Christ-centered universalism because I think even the Bible points to that. And yeah, I guess lastly I'd say, and I wrote some of this stuff down because I forget stuff, man, I'm getting old. But I believe if the God of the universe is contained by theology or constrained by, like I can't save people unless they believe a certain thing about God of the universe, infinite God, that's just a really weird God. Real, 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 real <laughs> weird God. That's me, man. I would love just to yeah. kind of get a snapshot of, and it, it'll be really funny if you're like, dude, I'm not a Christian and I've never read the Bible. I just want to talk about uh, mushrooms. <laughs> but I know that's not the case. <laughs> give, <laughs> give me your background, man. Well, I think even based on hearing that story, you know, I think we will have a very open and enjoyable and I don't anticipate a lot of antagonism coming from your end towards me, uh, which, which which is cool. I would say the majority of the podcasts I'm on are, I mean, because they're, they're going to be more progressive. So, the, you know, there's a natural flow, there's an openness, there's an enjoyability, even if people think differently than me. Right. But then you will get a handful of like, oh, that was actually kind of antagonistic in oh. some beneath-the-surface ways. Right? Oh, gotcha. So, well, here, here's what's yeah, interesting. And, I, and before you get into the story, I'm curious what you think about this, though, because I'm, I'm, trying to work, I'm trying to work this out because I actually do want to have, like I hang out with a lot of evangelicals. A lot of them don't want to come on this show, but I, I want to have those sorts of conversations with people who believe what I just believed a little while ago. But 
I'm trying to figure out the art. You don't even have to respond to this, but if you want to, I'm trying to figure out the art of figuring out the tension of pushing back, but not feel, not make them feel like they're unwelcome. Like I see the podcast Dude, as hey, like a oh, living yeah. room. Hey, come on into my living room. I want to be up front with you because that's how I am. And that's what my podcasters expect, but I don't want you to be uncomfortable in my living room. And that's a hard totally. thing. And, it's hard. And for me, it is that dynamic and the environment that you would like to be able to create for others who think more closely to how you used to think five, 10, 15 years ago or whatever it was, is it's not primarily what you're saying it is the way in which you are saying i don't mean you i mean in a general you it is not the things that are being said is the energy with which things are being said it's the medium is the message our very bodily presence our very disposition is the message is the living room like you say so i was on a podcast a little one of the ones i was on not a christian this guy's antagonistic in the sense of he's challenging everything I'm saying, but he's fun. His energy's open. It's not a constricting, putting me on the defense, wanting to debate about dumb shit kind of a thing. He's just like, well, I mean, come on though, but the Bible is ridiculous. And I'm like, well, it's like, it's the energy, right? In that case, the medium is the message. Do you know, we had, we, I like to tell when, when we get to talking about these sorts of things, I like to tell guests on here, we had the head guy from Westboro Baptist on here twice. (laughs) And it was, it was a interesting deal. And that for me, it's, it's, I do care about people, even him, but for me, it's almost like some experimental territory. Like I want to figure out how to have a conversation with guy because, I actually am. And it may just be curiosity. I, th- I want to tell myself that I care. Also, it may be curiosity, but I want to know why and how this guy mm. got to a point where the, yeah. he really believes this. And quite totally. honest, it was, I, I think of, it was eye opening for me personally. Anyway, mm. typical tangent yeah. for Joey Svensson. So you you grew <laughs> up a Christian, I'm assuming still are, it sounds like. So- so here, 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 I'll give you a little backstory. I went to Catholic school first, second, third grade. Dude, stop. And I left Catholic school after the third grade. I have to say that. Is that not crazy? Boom. You said first, hey, second, third grade. Already. That's when I left the Catholic church. <laughs> oh, there we go. And in fourth, so this is Los Angeles, you know, area, LA Unified School District. So I leave Catholic school. I go to public school, fourth grade. Now we're cussing and we're fighting and it's going down all the time. It's not a big deal. And at my nine-year-old self was like, this is salvation. This is where I'm meant to be. <laughs> right. This is where this is where the fullness of my young self yeah. can blossom. And, you know, slow like soon after, I don't even know when, stop going to mass. And it wasn't as if I was a 11-year-old kid or whatever saying, like, I'm leaving <laughs> the church. Right. I just didn't care. And I was like, I'm over this. I don't know what's really happening. I, I'm not, I don't think about it. Right. And my parents didn't push that on me. And it's funny, my mom and I had a conversation about this recently. And I said, mom, I left that experience with what I call a pleasant indifference towards God, life, the church. It was always just a non-issue in, in a sense. It, I'm thankful for that. You said pleasant indifference, right? Ple- yep. Yes. Yep. Pleasant indifference because I had zero, and I'm really grateful for this, and it's a big part of my story, no oppositional energy, no antagonism, no issues no with, with the church, and also no shame, guilt, or traumatic thoughts from the church. It just wasn't really a thing. And I'm grateful for that, to be honest. That's a big part of the book is I have a chapter in the book called Mushrooms and Missionaries. And in that chapter, I essentially say that in the same way a missionary would function in a healthy way of pointing someone further towards Christ. Mushrooms played that same role for me in my own life from 16, 17 towards 18. Even for your listeners, a little sidebar, you know, when I talk about mushrooms and missionaries, there's a need to temporarily suspend the urgent requirement of disentangling and dismantling that word missionary from all of its white supremacist colonial empire building, dominating endeavors that it's caught up in. I am a part of that. I have my own journey of dismantling that. I hope other people who are interested in the church are also doing that work. But the healthy part of that term... Wait, the church didn't start in America? Like, we didn't start Christianity? I'm really thrown for a loop. Let's talk about that another time then. It depends depends on what Bible college you Yeah, I thought for sure the American flag was like the... Kind of, kind of like a Christian flag. All right, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I tell a story in the book where a young Thomas Merton, you know, great mystic Catholic contemplative monk in the 20th century, in his early awakening stages, 
he had a conversation with this visiting Hindu monk and priest from India named Mahanambrata Brahmachari. He's speaking he in tongues, folks. Asked, He's speaking in tongues. <laughs> I did go to a Foursquare Bible College eventually, so you know I got that in me. <laughs> oh man, we we are the same, dude. And so he goes to you know this brilliant Hindu monk and asks for guidance. And the monk doesn't tell him to read the Bhagavad Gita, doesn't point him to his own cultural or sacred text. He tells a young Merton to read St. Augustine's Confessions and Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. And let's say those books get integrated into Merton's journey. He becomes this great monk, Christian, etc. I say, well, in the same way that monk was this unexpected missionary for Jesus or for Christ, for Thomas Merton, mushrooms were that missionary for me as a teenager. Where when I started taking them soon after and at some point in that journey, I, w- I, I kept sensing the mushrooms were saying, yes, but keep going. They were a signpost pointing me to the future I couldn't see, to a freedom I desired but wasn't sure existed, and to this truth I hoped for but knew wasn't guaranteed. So eventually, that's in the book as well of another chapter called More Mushrooms and the Most Important Moment of My Life. And eventually, I had this spontaneous, immediate awakening moment with God when I was 18 years old that completely not only re-altered my life, but I would argue rewired my very consciousness itself. So I want to make sure, I, I, I'm almost positive, but I want to make sure for me and our listeners' point of view, when you're saying mushrooms, are you talking about taking natural stuff growing Psilocybin, for, you know, for hallucinogenic effects? Yeah. For hallucinogenic effects? Yeah, hallucinogenic, entheogens, psychedelic, and, psilocybin, you know. Yeah, and so, yeah, so obviously this is a 30-minute conversation. There's just a billion things I want to talk about. Am I hearing you correctly that you're saying you're still a spiritual person? Sounds like even a Christian. You're saying that mushroom God used mushrooms to bring you to more understanding of God, more understanding of life itself, a little bit of both. Like, do you, are, are you saying that God used mushrooms to speak to you? I'm saying mushrooms were the primary guide for me in terms of my own spiritual journey. When I, I had no experience with any evangelical culture as a teenager, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know worship music. I didn't know church. I didn't know youth groups. I honestly had never heard of those things. So yeah. I wasn't against them. I just didn't know about it. When you have no altar calls, no pastors, no guides, no, you know, whatever it is people look to. And I didn't look to my parents to be like that at the time. We just didn't, it, even though my family was Catholic, it wasn't like God talk in the house. Right. You know, right. it wasn't like that. And, and they were, they were great people. But in that sense, mushrooms were that guide for me towards this experience that I had. Now, can you can you go into that a little bit, like as far as how they guided you? And and, and if if you're going to get there, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I would love to just get some context of how mushrooms guide people and how you have like almost a a rewiring of your approach to life. I've heard a lot about this. I'd say for me personally, I have only experienced, and and you would be able to, I'm sure, give more insight on this, but some of the effects that I think marijuana can do along the lines of of some sort of shift in your processing is the only thing that I've experienced. Like, I've never done mushrooms or... Well, yeah, I think, I mean, cannabis technically, I believe, would be considered a very mild hallucinogenic and by the way for context now for people reading i'm i am a christian now i could give a long answer of what that means and how people might not want to claim me but i'm a christian my wife and i started a church almost 10 years ago that i've been leading for a decade which i'm actually in the last chapter of right now yes that's also helping give you some information about where this journey eventually led who suggested mushrooms to you was it nobody recreational i'm a bad kid i'm gonna take some mushrooms sort of thing i mean yes i'll tell people when i first ate mushrooms at 16 because i did them 10 times like 16 17 18 and when i first did them it wasn't already i am on a conscious quest for truth and i believe these can have this mysterious role in guiding me it was no i'm 16 and i do drugs and this is the (laughs) next one i'm gonna do (laughs) and i've been smoking weed since i was a kid and drinking heavily since i was young and you start eventually you start you know doing other things and 
I was, I probably was already doing other drugs at that point, I think, uh, or as close to it. I was like, no, this is the next one I'm going to do. Soon after it started to evolve and morph into something more for me, where when I say that primary thing of the mushrooms were saying to me or something was saying to me through the mushrooms, yes, but keep going. It was, I would, they would give me a glimpse of truth, of life, of peace, of wisdom, of a sense of knowing, of a deeper interconnectedness or whatever it was. They would give me a glimpse of something that was real, but I knew the goal was much further ahead. It was like each time I would do it, they would give me just enough energy and excitement to keep moving forward on what was becoming a more conscious quest for truth. You know, they would bless me with just enough of the taste of the possibilities of freedom and, and peace in my body and in my mind and in my heart that I didn't have to keep going forward to what I hoped for was a different future. And that's my story. Joey was my spiritual journey. My, the depth of my own pursuit began with a radical sense of self-awareness and a radical inward journey into myself. Wow. I didn't have guides. I had that radical inward journey of even in high school and connected with this whole pursuit of truth was it didn't come from someone telling me things are bad in an ethical and moral sense. It came from me starting to recognize the illusions in my own life. I played basketball. I was supposed to play in college. I was doing music as a kid and I was, you know, I was selling weed. I was living that life. I was like, I have a life people want. I know that. I said, damn it. I'm not at peace. I'm not happy. And I have this inner restlessness that is just haunting me and I just can't escape it. And I just, those seeing through my illusions of, Oh, everything I'm doing is actually for the need for approval from others. Well, well, that's not freedom. If, if me playing basketball is actually, I don't really love it. I just need it because my ego needs a sense of validation through it. Oh, so my sense of value is, is contingent upon other people's telling me I'm special. Like I started seeing that even at that age and I was like, that's a problem. Yeah. The scene through illusions, the asking of deeper questions, the desire for something more, that's what was driving me. Like spirituality, religion, God was never a moral and ethical project for me. It was an actual desire for joy and for peace and for freedom. Dude, I'm, 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 I'm matured and I've got so many ways I need to mature, but I've matured enough to where I have a really healthy jealousy for what you just described. Like I'm very, (laughs) like I'm very happy for you and gosh, I'd give my right arm because I I just, I grew up in do's and don'ts and you're probably going to go to hell and you better do everything you possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen because once it happens, it's forever. (laughs) Like I have all that. Eventually you can read it in the book, you know, the making of a mystic, there's some deep, it's not an autobiography, but there's autobiographical moments of my life. And even my journey up to the experience and that awakening moment with God when I was 18, while I was on mushrooms, which was the last time I ever did them. Even that experience was by no stretch of the imagination, you know, much to the chagrin of my mother at the time who, you know, would have to explain to people whatever her son was doing. People would have not said I was a great person. You know, I was a very manipulative, objectifying, I just used everybody to get what I want type of a person. Even if I was likable, I still was like that. And so when I have this direct, immediate experience of God, my foundational experience of faith was a universal affirmation of my life. It was a universal yes. It was unconditional love. It was light and love infused into my being with no, there was no sinner's prayer. There was no belief system at hand. There was no assent to any propositional beliefs. It was just pure, direct union. So the foundation of my faith, which is the journey of a mystic, is a direct knowing of the sacred, unmediated by any traditions or beliefs. And, and That's you, one way of saying it. Right. And you would say that revelation, God could have chosen another way, but that revelation wouldn't have come to you outside of the hallucinogenic effects of mushrooms. Like that's that's where it came from. I mean, that, I mean they were the guide for my journey. I yeah. mean, obviously people don't need psychedelics to actually have a direct experience of the sacred. I don't believe that at all. But for me, that's why I tell people in the book, my journey is not prescriptive. It's just me owning the fullness of my own journey. Yeah. And a bit, a, a big part of that was when I have this direct, spontaneous awakening moment with God. And the reason why I say it was a rewiring and a transformation of consciousness is 
I remember driving home that night or actually my parents came to pick me up at four in the morning from my girlfriend's house where I ended up after a really bad trip. The story's in the book and my friend Squirrel was with me and my girlfriend at the time is now my wife, which is awesome. You right. know, so it's cool to have that history together. Yeah. I'm in the car going home and I remember thinking this to myself. So I'm 18 at the time. And I said, it's not that I'm having different thoughts about life, although I am. It's the very I that is doing the thinking has been foundationally transformed. Right. That is a transformation of consciousness. It is not just changing your beliefs. You can change your beliefs and remain the same person, essentially. Yeah. It wasn't changing my beliefs. It was the very I, the very space within which those beliefs are arising has been completely exploded, undone, and reborn. That is transformation. That is a transformation of consciousness. Yeah. I never did psychedelics again. That you did no, mushrooms ne- 10 times, didn't you say 10 times uh, yes. through the course of three years? Yes. And then yes. you stopped? Ten, yeah, 16, yeah. Because those were the signs pointing me beyond themselves to the source. So if you look at the new age, sort of like more new agey crowd, and that's not, a, that, I'm not saying that in a pejorative way right now, but just, you know, sort of pursuing spirituality outside of whatever conventional church or whatever. Alan Watts is like one of their guys, right? Brilliant guy, you know, sort of introduced Western Buddhism mindfulness to people at large culturally in the 20th century. And he has this really well-known quote that people love to quote. And he says, when he's talking about psychedelics, he says, psychedelic experience is only a glimpse of genuine mystical insight. And he goes on to say, when you get the message, hang up the phone. For psychedelic drugs are simply instruments like microscopes, telescopes, and telephones. Now, hang up the phone of when you get the – like if if I call you and tell you the good news, the point now is not to call Kevin again and have me explain the good news to you every single day. It's for you to actually embody, live that out, and become that yourself. Yeah. If you've seen the vision through the microscope, you don't need the microscope anymore. The point is to now act upon that and become that integrated, et cetera. And so for me, at 18, I said, I know the the mushrooms were saying yes, but keep going towards that which is ultimate reality, et cetera. Once I have that, the point of my life now is not to go back to the signs. Let's say, let's say the mushrooms are the sign, the directions to the ocean. The ocean is God, truth, love, grace, et cetera. My life now is not going back to the directions. It is learning to live, swim, trust, and, and, and one might say become the ocean itself. And I'll tell you this, let's say even a few months later when a part of me thinks, man, I want to do mushrooms again. Because besides that, that they're just, you just love them. You right. know, the euphoria, the visuals, like I'm tripping out when I'm doing them. It's not like I'm only, this is truth. I'm like, yeah, and we're also, you know, we're also tripping and a part of me might might have thought oh i want to go back and do it again because it's such an intense experience and even at that age i to me i thought to go back to those would be to betray that which i experienced in the fullness dang man and and i have been being called by that and once i am embraced by this absolute embrace and universal acceptance and love which i would which i at that point would have named as god and i still do to go back would be to betray the truth and power and to say that isn't enough when i knew my life was becoming that surrendering to it and giving my whole life to it after that dude how and that's what i did how powerful of an experience did that have to be for it to be so euphoric, but so powerful that you have the discipline to say, I ain't messing that up. Like, that's crazy because it seems like most people were like, I got to do that again. It was just, it was just so freeing. And you're saying, (laughs) no, it was so clear though. Well, you know, there's a funny story I tell in the book about, you know, these group of kids all do LSD, take acid. When people will say similar experiences as what I'm describing on psilocybin too, so, you know, friends take acid the next morning. The friend's like, dude, last night I discovered the meaning of life. And all their friends are all like waiting. You're like, whoa, like, dude, no way. What is it? And then right when they're all getting ready to hear the good news and the guy was like, I forgot. <laughs> and then they all, because that happens a lot. Right. And I'm like, that to, that to me is a funny <laughs> story about how a spiritual experience doesn't always translate into a spiritual life. But to me, I'm like, that's the point of peak experiences and why oftentimes you're our church camp moment. No, I went to Burning Man and ate a bunch of mushrooms. No, I'm going to Coachella <laughs> to do Molly with my friends. No, I went to another big worship conference, which to me all can be very similar ways of how they function yeah. psychologically yeah. for us. 
the what we see on the peak needs to become who we are on the path. The vision we get when we're there, which is cool, needs to actually be alchemized and I don't even know if that's a word and transformed into the values that are actually a part of who we are. And that's why I say the real work of transformation and the further journey toward freedom does not happen during the psychedelic trip or the massive God moment. It always happens after. Mm. Are you becoming that? Are, are you just going to return? Let me go to another conference. Let me eat more mushrooms because it's a guaranteed intense emotional experience. Or are you going to have the discipline, like you said, to, oh, no, what you really need is a practice of 20 minutes in silence, four to five days a week to start to get to start to become that and trust that more and more. Yeah. But who wants to sit in silence? You know, yeah. you have a million things to do. Yeah. When you can just go back and pay 500 bucks for a conference yeah. or whatever. So that, so that's interesting. Do you, and, and you don't, you don't sound like the judgmental person. So I don't think it'd be like looking down your, your nose at someone, but do you see someone who smokes weed regularly or goes on trips with, with mushrooms regularly? Do you think, oh man, there's, there's something in their life that's missing because they wouldn't do that all the time. Like how, how do you see people that just regularly trip on hallucinogens and it's just a part of their life? Even though I'm a, I'm a pastor and I have been like, just think about the uniqueness of my own story. There are many, many unique paths towards God and life and truth and joy and freedom and peace. And the things that I believe we all really desire. And I'm quite comfortable being present to people wherever they are and however they're going about doing that right now. I'm a guide. That's what I love to do. The pastoral part of me, the substance of it besides any position is I like, I feel like the spiritual teacher is oftentimes an alarm clock inviting people to wake up. And also the pastor is the one who commits to be close and present insofar as people allow you to, to be a guide on that journey. That's a, that's an amazing thing. And I really take that seriously. And I love it, that part of my life. And I love that that's just what I do. And so I don't have judgment towards people, whether they're doing that through what people would see as conventional ways of being plugged in at a church, or if people are taking these other alternative paths, I will connect with people wherever they are and offer them guidance and a loving presence and pointing them towards the next couple of steps if that's what they want in any way. And not everyone's going to just do that regular i'm gonna go into it i'm not trying to be mean but like they're not gonna do the regular church way and i'm comfortable doing with people who do that you know and i'm also really comfortable with people who i just know they're never going to do that the president of fuller which is where i went to grad school fuller seminary like 10 years ago or whatever mark laberton he said this thing that always stuck with me he said not everybody wants a pastor but everybody needs pastoral guidance and I think that's really important because a lot of the my a lot of people I know personally and people are not ever going to be a part of a local church. It's, they're just not. And I'm not like spending my life trying to get them to. <laughs> but the pastoral guidance of oh the desire for wisdom, the desire to feel heard and seen and perhaps some some clarity on the next step and affirmation of where they're at, man, I want to do that for everybody where they are. And I accept that that's going to look so many different unique ways. And I just love being a part of wherever that is. Right. That's cool, man. I think both of us know a lot of people that would fall in this line of thinking and we probably respect most of them too, but here's how the dots are connected theologically Mm -hmm. to say, no, 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 no. Uh, Sweeney's full of shit. Like, don't listen to him. You can't do this sort of thing (laughs) because what people do is they say, well, they specifically, the Bible specifically says no drunkenness. And what that means Mm -hmm. is you can't be in an altered state of mind. And so I've heard people say, I don't think you can smoke weed without having an altered state of mind. It's not like you can take a, a sip of weed, whereas you can take a sip of wine. Right, right, but basically, right, right. if you take one thing of weed, you're going to be high, and that's on the same playing field as drunk. Obviously, hallucinogens would be even a more extreme example of that. How would you handle that very, I would imagine, reductionist point of view mm. of of substances and altering mind states because of that one, you know, or few passages that say drunkenness is wrong. Yeah. One, I, one, I'm just like, I know my own experience, you know, one, I, without guides and without people affirming it from the outside, my spirituality began by trusting my own sense of knowing. 
And that doesn't mean epistemological certainty. It means a bodily, heart, mind aligned, resonating, knowing like I might be losing my mind before I experience God. And I thought I was, I'm like, I'm like 17 or 18, like thinking I'm getting close to experiencing the truth of the universe. And I just sense that like, or I'm isolating, eating a lot of mushrooms, smoking a blunt by myself in the car right now and starting to become unhinged, maybe. But at a deeper level, I know what's happening. And even when I experience God, I, I had no external sources to be like, that was a legitimate experience of the divine. Right. I was like, I don't need anybody to, t- I know what happened. What's fascinating about the Bible is later on, I would hear stories like when they're like, Paul has this profound experience. He consulted no one, spent these t- this moment alone and then came out as this revolutionary, whatever. I'm like, yeah, cool. That shit makes sense to me. Cause that's right. basically, he got, you know, he got knocked down. I got whatever. I was like, but yeah. I would resonate with stories like that. Or even when Proverbs is saying, I would, some of the first Bible stuff I read was, you know, Proverbs searching for wisdom as if it's jewelry, basically, and finding it. I'm like, that's what I did. I gave my life to pursue wisdom. So anyways, back to your question. One, I just don't care because I know my own experience. And what you see in encounter with the divine, the fruit is the, the fruit is the evidence. If this person's more loving, compassionate, open, freed, less neurotic, less rigid, more empathetic, that's always the fruit of spirit. I don't give a shit how a person got there. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, whether it's a ritual from another religious tradition, going to a church service, just sitting in silence, looking at the trees and be like, huh, roots are deep and I want to go deep somehow. And that makes a connection for you. Cool. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know, it seems like with what you're saying and what you experience, you would have lightheartedly no problem with saying everybody should try it at least once because maybe you're wired up in a way where this could be very beneficial. I've, I I have a friend of mine who says everybody should do it once, even taking the risk of a bad trip. And oh my gosh, his story of his bad trip is just, just fantastic. I, I end one of these chapters in this playful way of saying, it's kind of describing my unique and funny form of ambivalence towards the reemergence of all of the energy around psychedelics and microdosing and ketamine therapy and everything, which I understand, you know, and it, and it makes sense to me. I wouldn't say that because I don't prescribe it for anybody. Like, yeah. let's see if there's like a young person who's like, should I? I'm not going to say whether you should or you shouldn't, but if a person chooses to right. and they want to and they want guidance and conversations, I'm here. But it's not a prescriptive way because the truth is the majority of people I did psychedelics with are not leading voices of compassion. They're not spiritual gurus. They're not the leading activists for justice. Because when you grow up doing drugs the way I did, you always have that part of you that's like, but for most people, they just want an experience and they just want to get high and they just want to do that. And okay, but that's not the same as a radical transformation. So I have an ambivalence of like, would I say they're completely evil? Of course not. I'm saying they were a guide for me. What I, do I have the same, I think, overly romantic notion of psilocybin and all these things are going to revolutionize society like they thought in the 60s? No, the 60s cultural revolution didn't lead us to utopia like a lot of those people thought. So I'm like, hey, it's this, it's that. A lot of times it's just this, but it also has these great effects. For some people, there's research here that's positive. There's also people, it's, I'm ambivalent, yeah. but I'm here for people who are going through that and, and just looking for guidance, yeah. you know, just in general. Yeah, and, and it gets it gets so tricky and it's just, it. sometimes you just have to stand back and marvel at all the rules that we just make up. And and I did the same sort of stuff with, with religion. But when I went through that really dark time in 2019, I got a ketamine treatment twice and it was an extremely wonderful experience but unfortunately i was just so far gone that the effects or the benefits only lasted within the effects and once they were gone but no one batted an eye if i were to say hey i went to an actual medical facility that it, they're experimenting with ketamine. There's been some research. No, nobody thought anything, but if it was, Hey, I'm trying mushrooms to help with my depression, they'd be like, Oh, well, that's, that's not medical. That's you're you're off the tracks there. And I just think that's mm. interesting. I'll, I'll throw this one out yeah. there. How many people say, well, marijuana is not bad, but you really shouldn't do it in South Carolina because it's illegal and they drive 10 over the speed limit everywhere they go. I believe Buddhist and Roar draws upon this too. And Richard Roar would say, you know, spiritual practices are fingers pointing to the moon. 
So the fingers aren't the point. They're doing the pointing, you know, rituals, things, songs we sing, prayers, whatever. And deep within all of that, and this is why I have compassion and love and the ability to be present to people wherever they are, is is just a desire for more. We desire to be at peace. We desire joy. We desire connection. Everybody wants that. And I want that for everybody. I have deep, no matter how much you disagree with the ways in which the the fingers they're using to point to the moon, like to me, that isn't the point. I, I just recognize that universal drive that drove me and that I want for people. Like why the subtitle of the book for people listening, it's The Making of a Mystic, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. And a part of the relaxing part is, man, everybody's just doing their best. Um, exactly. And that doesn't mean you don't disagree with people. And it doesn't mean you don't talk your shit. When it comes to that prophetic fire of truth telling and calling down injustice, you do all that stuff. But at the same time, there's this common humanity of even at people's worst, deep down, there's an inner logic of that's actually them trying their best as misguided and destructive as it is. Deep down, I think we all want the same things. And I can totally disagree and see someone as dangerous, toxic, or problematic and still know and humanize them and know they want the same things I want. And that's why I have that universal compassion for everybody because I'm like, we all want life. And and to me, that's one of the reasons, like, that's why I'm a Christian because this is the path this that leads us to life. Like, I don't really think about hell. Like we were talking about earlier, I don't think about heaven in the sense of like what happens after. I don't know. No one knows with certainty what's going to happen. I'm like the joy, the connection, all those things is all, there's an increasing ability to experience that here. And that's what I'm here for is to, to enjoy that myself and to hopefully guide some others towards that. Man. I can't resonate with you more. That's, that's one of the, one of the big themes around these parts is I, and, and I, I, I think of how would you feel if you could go back in time and, and, and I'm not going to qualify this. I'm going to let this just linger and, uh, cause it'll make me feel uncomfortable in saying, but imagine holding newborn Osama bin Laden, like going back in time and holding that baby, knowing what's going to happen in the future, you'd be like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen to this baby before he gets to the point of where he is. And oh yeah, he was brainwashed. (laughs) He was trained for this. And just just remembering, I mean, all of our starting point, I I used to think we're all born into sin. I I believe we're, we're born pretty pure and and we're pretty pollute pretty polluted right away but hey i'll let i'll let brian mclaren close us out he's a friend of this show been on multiple times and he says you may never have considered yourself a mystic but in these pages you'll find resonance with some of your own deepest hopes longings and intuitions i appreciate your time man i'm looking forward to reading this book yeah joe i appreciate it man good good stuff man the like i said the not anticipating antagonisms but one i just want to say as a first-time author for anybody with any show to take the risk or extend the hospitality to bring me on i do not take that for granted i'm really grateful for this time and uh yes that means the next times my other books are coming out which i got some on the way i will uh i'm gonna reach out and do that. initiate and be like i'm coming on again dude and we're gonna talk some more. there you go there you go you know the book yeah. making of a mystic may 31st my instagram at kevin sweeney one is probably like the best way to cool. stay in touch day to day and see what's happening and then uh just my own podcast the church needs therapy mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to tune and in so that. uh yeah Take advantage, go with the flow, baby, we don't play shit, no.